Let me, turn, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms, book 5, Psalm 107. Now, if you were with us, we recently just finished the Advent series, Christ in the Writings, and we'll begin a new series next Sunday, new year, new series in Philippians. So I thought this would be a wonderful psalm to use as we reflect on the Lord's work this year and in previous years. So Psalm 107, let us go to our God in prayer, asking for his help before we hear his word read. Our God, here is a psalm of great deliverance, and we do pray that you would cause us to see the deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ, the all-out deliverance in Christ and in him alone. Help us to see this through this beautiful word, this inspired word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 107, give your attention to it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction." Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. 
He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned just a moment ago, as most of you know, we just finished an Advent series in Christ in the Writings. Just took five texts in the section of the Writings and saw Christ in those passages. And for the Christmas Eve service, I concluded the series with a brief reflection from the book of Job. Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives, which is why we have sung hymn 281 every Lord's Day. And we'll finish this Lord's Day with that. We know that our Redeemer lives. This is what Job, the redeemed, confessed. This is what we as the redeemed of the incarnate Son of God likewise confess, and with full conviction. And this confession, if a true confession of the soul, leads necessarily to praise. And that's what the psalm is all about. And so it is a fitting way to finish off 2023 on a note of praise. But maybe you feel a bit crummy. Maybe you've had a hard Christmas season. Maybe Christmas is not a time for you to be joyful because suffering attends the season. Maybe you had a difficult 2023. You look around you and you wonder, where the joy of the Lord is. You look at your family, and you wonder how you can praise God when there is division in it. You look at your own sin, and praising God for His grace might seem like an act of hypocrisy because that besetting sin clings so closely to you. You look at your own suffering, and you wonder why you should praise God because after all, He is the one who has allowed it to keep going. And for me, I don't mind saying in public what I've said to some in private, that this year has been the hardest year of my 40 years of life. As I consider the issues with my family, with my brother in particular, consider the season of humbling here at this church, the loss of friends, the departure of beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, this is very hard. And if you had a difficult year, or many years, you're in good company. Psalm 107 comes on the heels of Psalm 106, which is how book 4 ends. And Psalm 106 makes sense if it is written during or about a period of exile, most likely the Babylonian exile. 
And this psalm ends with a call for salvation in verse 47. It says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And even if you had a good 2023, after all, no one was forcing you to have a bad one. No one was forcing you to have a hard one. Maybe you had a joyful, pleasant 2023. This psalm applies to you as well. Its call for praise is for every season of every saint's life. The point here in this psalm here is that the life of the redeemed is one full of praise, for full deliverance of sin and satisfaction of soul. As I just mentioned, Psalm 107 begins the final book of the Psalms. There are five books in the book of Psalms. And this Answers This psalm answers the cry of desperation for salvation with which book four concludes. And there is in this psalm, 107, ample reason for praise because there has been deliverance at every single point in the lives of the Israelite worshipers. We see in the very beginning in verses one through nine that there is deliverance from desertion, from abandonment, from wandering. Desperation cries out for deliverance, and here we have it in these first verses. There's a distress signal that is raised because of a perceived desertion, of an abandonment. They have been wandering in the desert. And we saw last week through the book of Nehemiah how homeless God's people had been for a time, and how to be without a home, to be without the temple, to be without the walls, the the city, the gates, all this brought great grief to these wandering worshipers. And surely this generation, Psalm 107 of Israelites, this generation recalls the hard times that that wandering generation had had. And perhaps some of them are tempted to think, well, we're back to where we were after we left Egypt. Landless and out in the open, exposed, vulnerable to more and more oppression. But this psalm praises the God who delivers generations of his people. He is the God of all generations, Psalm 90 says. Yes, his people wander. So did that first generation of Israelites. And what did God do? God delivered them out of Egypt. He brought them out of the hands of the Egyptians, and he provided for them a place. He provided for them for 40 years with miraculous manna, heavenly bread from above. And the Lord, in verse 7 here, is said to have led them by a straight way to a habitable city. Yes, they did wander, but they didn't wander eternally. They were brought to a place that they could live in, that they could dwell in. They were brought to the promised land. And yes, later on, because of their own sin, they were exiled. And God, again, brought his people to the holy city. Isaiah 49, 11 says that the Lord is the one who will make all his mountains a road. He will bring his people to himself. We rejoice that that road is our Redeemer, whose way was paved by John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Make the way straight. Jesus comes. He comes on the scene He comes out of the wilderness, having been tempted and having been successful against all the devilish temptations. 
Out of Egypt, the Father called His Son, who is the way to the Father. Jesus Christ has delivered us from desertion, from wandering. We see also in this psalm deliverance from death. Look at verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Worse than desertion is death. As the people contemplated their impending death, they cried out to God. Which crying out is a gift from God, isn't it? To know that you are death-bound. And then to cry out to the one who alone can save you is a grace from God. Here they are sitting in darkness, like a dark prison. They are awaiting the day of execution. They know that they deserve to be sitting in this prison. They suffer because of their own sin. Do you notice that in verse 11? The psalmist says, For they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. In other words, if they hadn't rebelled against the words of God, if they hadn't spurned the counsel of the Most High, they would not have sat in darkness in the shadow of death. They would not have been prisoners in affliction and in irons. They wouldn't have been. But they were because of their own sin. And what does the Lord do? He, he humbles them. The Lord humbled them. He chastens those whom he loves. So feeling their distress over death, they cry out to the Lord. And the Lord gives a listening ear. He hears their cries. He hears by grace their cries. And they were delivered. Even though it was their sin that brought them there, they were still delivered. All the fault was theirs but all the forgiveness was God's. He didn't look at them and say, you got yourself in this mess, now get yourself out of it. Which is something that sometimes we do as as parents. You got yourself in this mess, see how you can get out of it. Sometimes we do that when we relate to other people. That's not how God treats us. You got yourself in this mess, but I will get you out of it, is what he says. Can you imagine Adam and Eve trying to get themselves out of the mess that they had created for themselves and for all of their posterity? They tried to get themselves out of it. They clothed themselves with those fig leaves. But it was the Lord who delivered them, wasn't it? It was the Lord who clothed them with animal skins that the Lord himself had killed. The Lord clothed them. The Lord gave them that robe of righteousness. The Lord delivered them. Isaiah 49, 9 says, The Lord says to the prisoners of Israel, Come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. And this is why our Lord Jesus came. As he says in, when he starts his ministry, he's come to bring people out of darkness. Matthew 4, 16 says that, For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. For those in verse 10, for those in verse 11, the light of Christ has dawned. It is because Jesus Christ has gone through the valley of the shadow of death. That salvation light has now dawned on our faces. The sun of righteousness has risen in our hearts and his countenance beams upon our countenance and now our faces see, our faces glow with the glory of the Lord because Christ has shown salvation upon our faces. Amen. 
We have been delivered from desertion, delivered from death, delivered even from folly. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. So with this sure deliverance comes real wisdom as well. Just to speak bluntly, sin makes us stupid. We think that we're wise, but if our wisdom goes against the real wisdom, eternal wisdom of the Word of God, our wisdom might appear like the right thing to do, but really it is just a mark of our own folly. Yes, sin enslaves, but it also makes us foolish, as the section tells us. What does mama tell you, children, when you're sick? Perhaps she tells you a lot of things. One of those things is usually drink a little something, eat a little something. You don't feel well, you need some food in your stomach. You need some Sprite and some saltine crackers. You need to drink something, you need to eat something. And it's hard when you're really sick to listen to that counsel. You don't want anything, you don't want any food to go down your stomach. You don't want to drink anything, you just want to lie miserably in bed and you want to tell all of us, how miserable you are. And whatever remedy mom gives you, that's not going to work, right? Well, here in section 17 through 22, in verse 18 in particular, they loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. One of two things is, is happening. Some of the Israelites are so sick that they do away with all food altogether. They don't want to eat any food. Or it could be that they thought that they were being super religious by withdrawing from food and drink. Look at us. Look how religious we are. Look how the elite we are because we are abstaining from food and drink. Or this, this actually could be an allusion to the wandering generation that got all that heavenly manna and they became sick of it. Or then they became sick of meat. Remember, they, they didn't want the the manna, and they said, Lord, we want meat. And the Lord says, fine, I'll give you meat, but it's going to be coming out of your nostrils. I'm going to give you so much meat, you're going to be sick of it. But that conduct is not wise. To loathe this kind of food, to loathe any kind of food, which is a gift from God. Whether it's the heavenly manna. Can you imagine people loathing that? It's a great gift from God to sustain them every single day for 40 years. And then for them to say, no thanks, I don't want this, I want something else. Or to think themselves super spiritual by, with, by refraining from food. It's foolish. And they got themselves in that position. And they, but so they cry out still in their folly. They, they cry out. By grace, they have the wisdom to cry out. And the Lord hears it's not just these people in Psalm 107. Jesus' disciples were known not to be the wisest owls in the parliament. I had to look up a group of owls, that's parliament. That's why I use the word parliament, which makes us wonder about modern-day parliaments, but that's a whole other thing. But they were not wise. Foolishly, they kicked kids out of the kingdom. They thought Jesus had better things to to take up his time. Better things than covenant children. Foolishly, they cut off ears or they wanted to call down fire upon any and all who would disagree with him. 
They acted foolishly from time to time. But God is praised here for delivering them and us from our folly. He does so by sending a word of healing to afflicted fools. He does so by feeding the spiritually sick with the bread of life, by refreshing them with living waters, a spring from the bosom of Christ. Isaiah 55, 11 says that the word of God goes out and accomplishes the purpose for which the Lord sends it. He always accomplishes the purpose for which he sends his word. A word unto judgment or a word unto salvation. And in John 1, what do we have? But the word of God dwelling among us, tabernacling, tabernacling among us. As John says, to overcome our darkness, we were in darkness. And the light of the world exposed our folly, exposed our darkness to ourselves and overcame our darkness. Our folly was no match for the light and the wisdom of Christ. Christ saves us sometimes from our own stupidity. Sometimes he allows us to go through with our folly, to learn wisdom, to go back to the scriptures to see what his word says, to learn dependence on him. Sometimes he allows us to feel the effects of our folly. But sometimes he spares us. Perhaps he spares us more than he doesn't. He saves us from sending that email. He saves us from saying that word. He saves us from clicking on that link, going to that place. This is a grace from our God. And sometimes he uses our affliction to give glory to his name, to help us to see the folly of our ways. In 1544, the plague had visited Dundee, Scotland. In verse 20, it says, He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Verse 20 of this psalm came into the mind of the reformer George Wizard, who made haste to visit the sorely afflicted people. He says, They are in trouble. They need comfort. Maybe the hand of God will make them magnify and reverence his word, which before, for fear of man, they're treated lightly. So this man is thinking, Perhaps the Lord had brought that plague upon this people, upon many people, that they might magnify his name, they might see him and reverence him more, that they might know themselves to be the frail humans that they are, and to know that worshiping God is to be their primary act, their main spiritual responsibility, duty, and joy. And as the man preached to the infected people. John Knox comments, He so roused the hearts of men that they had no thought of death, and many hearts were changed from death to life. So the Lord used George to bring the people to a place of humbling, and he uses affliction to do that. I think he did that a couple years ago with COVID. He does that with any trial to humble us that we might reverence his name, magnify his name, savor his word, savor Christ more and more. The great physician has come to save the sick, not to call the righteous. And this great physician is also the great wave rider. There is, in verses 23 through 32, deliverance from what I'm calling maritime madness. The Lord is maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He, still, he, he stirs the waters on which sailors sail, and he calms the waters 
on which ships move. Isaiah 42.10 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it. We recently went through the book of Jonah in the evening. The Gentile mariners in Jonah's day knew this maritime madness, didn't they? They knew the chaos. They knew that their lives were in peril. And they, that their gods were not doing anything to help them. They knew the inefficacy of their gods and of their own efforts. They didn't know just that. They also knew the deliverance that God brought. That even through Jonah's disobedience, God brought salvation to these Gentiles. He does the same thing to Nineveh chapters later. Jonah knew well the chaos of the waters as well. Jonah knew that God delivered him through that great fish. The disciples of Christ likewise knew well the terror of the stormy seas and the ineffectual efforts at coming to shore when the waves would rage. But these disciples also knew the deliverance from the one who walked on the water, the one who told the sea and the waves to shut up, the one who calmed both sea and spirits. With them and with praise, we say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God, our King, our Deliverer. Look with me at verse 3. And, the, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Here in the very beginning of this psalm, right after we are exhorted, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, we see an all-out deliverance. We see a song of full deliverance. The Lord God had gathered the Israelites from every direction and had brought them home. It must have been a relief to them, an intense joy, finally to be home, finally to, to have that heavenly city on earth rebuilt, the walls rebuilt, people returning. And this song of all-out deliverance must not stay on the lips of these worshipers only. We give utterance to the praise within as we sing aloud that Christ is gathering his own. This is what Jesus himself says in John 12, 32. He promises, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, that is to say, when I am upon that cross, I will draw all people to myself, people from every tribe, tongue, nation. That's what he's doing. He is even now keeping his promise, bringing his people outcasts to home. Whatever our lot, dear ones, when we cry out for deliverance, we know that we shall have it in God's timing. We shall have it. When we cry out for salvation, when we cry out for deliverance, we will be delivered. Not because of anything in us, but because of everything in God. Because of everything that God is, everything that God does, and will do. So if you're deserted, if you feel like you are deserted, that you've been abandoned by friends, family, perhaps you even feel abandoned by God because of your present affliction, God alone is your deliverer. Perhaps you are even now death-bound because of what's in your body, whether you know it or not. 
because of age, because of whatever. God is your deliverer. Maybe you feel the folly of your own actions. And there are a lot of things that you regret that you wish you could take back. Words you said, actions you committed, thoughts you said out loud, relationships that you've ruined. You feel the folly of your actions. But the Lord is your deliverer. The Lord is your reconciler. The Lord is the one who can bring unity to separate relationships. Perhaps your heart is restless like the waters of the sea, and you can't get a night's sleep. The Lord can calm your spirit. The Lord keeps count of all of your tossings, as Psalm 56 says. He keeps count of all of the tears that you shed. He, he places them in his bottle that no one can break. He keeps count of you. He keeps count of all your wanderings, all of your restlessness, and he can calm you. He can be your deliverer. Perhaps you need a complete work of salvation. Like Peter, you say, well, fine, not just the feet, but the whole, the whole thing. Wash me completely. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you haven't found salvation in the Lord. The Lord is your deliverer. You call upon him. Today is a day of salvation, says the Lord. You call upon him and you will be saved. Or perhaps you say, yeah, I know I belong to the Lord. But every part of my life is, is in need of deliverance. Every part of my life needs work. I can't say that I've mastered being a husband, that I've, I've mastered being a wife, that I've mastered being a father, that I've mastered being an employee, an employer, that I've mastered being a child. I can't say that I've mastered being a saint. Why would I call myself a saint? It doesn't seem to fit. You need an all-out deliverance. You need a full work of salvation. Well, dear ones, praise the Lord that He is, even now, working in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. He's not done with you. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged that the Lord is working. And He's a much better worker than you are. And perhaps than you and I give Him credit for. As we reflected this morning in ABF, we should be playing the long game. The Lord plays the long game. Slowly but surely, he shall have the victory. And what does that mean? But that your soul, my soul, will be truly satisfied. Look at verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. What a beautiful beginning of this psalm when we consider all of the distress throughout the psalm. There's enduring steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord endured the desertion of his people. The steadfast love of the Lord endured the sins of his people. The steadfast love of the Lord endured the folly of his people. The steadfast love of the Lord endured the disasters of his people. The steadfast love of the Lord endured the threatened death of his people. Because of the steadfast love of the Lord, he endured. And so we praise him because of his steadfast love of the Lord. And because of Christ's steadfast love, he endured the desertion of his closest friends. Because of Christ's steadfast love, 
He endured the sins of his most vile enemies. Because of Christ's steadfast love, he endured the folly of a darkened people. Because of Christ's steadfast love, he endured the disaster that you and I deserve. Because of Christ's steadfast love, he endured the death, even death on a cross for us. John 13, 1 says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Because of Christ's steadfast love, he loved us to the end. He gave his very life for us. He allowed himself to be put upon that cross to die the death that you and I deserve. And it was raised from the dead for our justification, Paul says. Again, not because of anything excellent in you, but because of everything excellent in the steadfast love of the Lord that doesn't fade, doesn't wane. It isn't temporary. It's eternal. It's permanent. It's fixed. It's always our hope. It's always our promise. Always our spiritual reality. And because God's steadfast love endures, our soul satisfaction endures. Look at verse 9. For he satisfies a longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Our Lord truly satisfies longing soul. He alone can fill the soul with good things. Now this word for fill, in verse 9, the hungry soul he fills with good things. This word is used often in the Old Testament, and most notably in Genesis 1.22, when God says to the sea creatures, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And we know that there are a lot of sea creatures in the waters. Many of us celebrate Christmas, and many of us who do also likewise celebrate with a bit of stocking stuffers. Those usually are the first things that we um, remove the great items out of uh, on Christmas Day or even Christmas Eve. We stuff these stuffers with all good things, don't we? We pack them full of important items that we can fit in there. Candies, beard oil, of course, which smells good. Toothpaste. You need toothpaste for all those candies. Gift cards, whatever other good things there are, nice, comfortable socks, other candies, and more candies. All beautiful things. Now, we would be certainly disappointed, wouldn't we, if we found, say, coal in our stockings or other less fun items. But the Lord packs our souls that were once empty of goodness. He packs them with all spiritual delights, doesn't he? Regeneration and faith and justification, adoption and sanctification, perseverance, glorification. He just packs our spirits with these beautiful spiritual realities, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He just packs our spirits with his spirit, with all good things. The steadfast love of Jesus endured, longing to be with the Father so that your soul, my soul, will be stuffed with all the good things of salvation, that they would be so stuffed that they could they have to have one response, and that is praise. Just brimming with praise. Praise to God for all that he has done, for who he is. 
That's what our souls are meant for. They're meant for worship. In awe we worship. In awe we give thanks. In awe we praise our God. Our soul is not truly satisfied until it praises Christ. It is restless until it finds true rest, Sabbath rest, in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Indeed, we are idolatrous and we are sinfully content if we are content in anyone or in anything but Jesus Christ. If you are satisfied, you don't have Christ, that is idolatrous. If you are more satisfied in what you have than in the one who gave those to you, that is idolatrous. Christ and Christ alone is our satisfaction. He and he alone is our cause for joy. And in this psalm, with each plight that is mentioned, comes praise because of God's deliverance. You notice that refrain, there is some pain, and there is protection, and then there's praise. There is some distress, and then there is deliverance, and then there is this refrain, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. The Lord is showing these worshipers through Psalm 107 that, yes, they had a hard time. The Lord delivered them. Sing. Yes, hardship. Yes, affliction. Yes, you were wandering for so many years. Yes, you were in the chaotic waters. Yes, you didn't have food or you had food and you rejected it. Yes, you were in prison. Yes, you were in the shadow of death. But God delivered you, so sing praises to his name because of his steadfast love that has endured. Our souls, stuffed with all spiritual goods, are meant to worship Christ at every point in our lives. Yes, even when we have a hard 2023. That hardship was not out of the plan of God. It is the very thing that God knew would be for his glory and your growth. So give thanks to the Lord. Knowing that he will deliver you from it, or praise him that he has delivered you from it. Praise Christ in prosperity. Praise Christ in poverty. Praise Christ with all thanksgiving. That's what Psalm 107 mainly is. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. But interestingly, this thanksgiving psalm turns into a wisdom psalm in these final verses. Verse 43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And we see in verses 34 and 35, that God reverses blessings, or he at times withholds blessings. That God is sovereign over who receives blessings. Verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Now, one way to think about blessings is to call them covenantal goods and services, which sounds a bit clinical, but it's something I was working with in an ABF a couple weeks ago, I thought that was one helpful way of understanding blessings. Because we, when we, talk, when we use the word blessing, it's usually pretty ethereal, and we're not exactly sure what we mean by it sometimes. These are things, these are tangible or intangible gifts from God that are tied inextricably to His covenant. In the days of Moses, for instance, God would shower His blessings upon them, as they followed him closely. He would give them land. He would give them birth. He would give them health and safety, victory over the enemies. He would give them marriage. He would give them animals. He would give them all beautiful things from his covenant. 
And these Israelite worshipers knew that divine blessings were not deserved, but they were graciously given to them by God. God didn't owe them any of these blessings, but he graciously provided a way, and the way is called the covenant of grace. He provided this way so that he can lavish upon his people salvation goods. Our God found a way for, to, to give us his good things, and that's the covenant. And he's the one who keeps covenant because it's his steadfast love that holds tightly to the covenant because he's holding tightly to his word, which he will never go back on. And there are times that he will withhold blessings from his people. And sometimes that's because of their own sin. The people knew that because of their sin, they wandered. Because of their sin, they tasted death. Because of their sin, they fell into folly. Because of their sin, they were tossed to and fro by every wind of idolatry. They are not God. They are not the fount of every blessing, but God is. So God at times can withhold blessings to wake us up, to cause us to see the folly of our ways, to cause us to see the horrifying effect of our own sin, to cause us to see the beauty of Christ, to cause us to see that he is the source of every spiritual blessing. And so he can withhold, but he can also bless. Verses 35 to 38 He turns the desert into pools of water. Here's the reversal there. A parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish the city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. So he can turn bad situations into good. He converts deserts into pools of water. He gives the hungry full stomachs. He causes fields and crops to bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. He opens wombs that he had once closed. He opens eyes that were once blind to his beauty. He pulls us needy ones out of humble affliction, and he gladdens our hearts with salvation. And so we see the very end, the wise consider the grace of the Lord's steadfast love. Consider your all-out deliverance from wandering in the wasteland of sin and folly. Consider your all-out deliverance that your soul would be satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. And you have the whole year of 2023, that whole year of material to choose from, to consider. But don't feel like you have to be restricted to just one year. You have many years to reflect on what the Lord has been doing, is doing, will do in you. Oh, be assured, make note of your distress. Make note of of your hardships. Make note of your affliction, because those are part of the story. You imagine Joseph not making note of being sold into slavery, being falsely accused of sexual infidelity and, and all that, being passed over, being abandoned, deserted by his own brothers. No, that's part of the story of redemption, isn't it? But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's hard to be betrayed. It's hard to be falsely accused of things. But we can take those because we know that those are what the Lord is using in part to bring us to glorify his name, to praise his name. So make note of those hardships. But don't neglect to consider often and regularly, deeply, prayerfully, thankfully, the all-out deliverance by the Father who loves you, 
by the Son who died and rose for you, and by the Spirit, the source of all good things, who fills your soul with everything truly and lastingly good. Let's pray. Our God, you are the fount of every blessing. Help our hearts to be tuned to sing your praise. Transform our spirits from one degree of glory to another as we consider the hardships and the joys, the challenges, yes, but how you have refreshed our spirits, that you have never left us, nor do you forsake us. You love us with the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. Let us always thank you, praise your holy name. In Christ we pray, amen.